0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Label Clothing Company. Uh, They have been a huge supporter of mine for many years now. And anytime you see me wearing a dress shirt or a suit, it is from them. Uh, Everything is custom made. And anyone who knows me knows I hate wearing suits and I hate wearing dress shirts. I not only look dapper, but the clothes feel great and uh, wear really well. So anyone in the need of a custom suit, definitely hit them up. You can find them online at Label.co what is up everybody today i am joined by my friend and fellow entrepreneur jess levin of carrots and cake and i truly love talking to jess Uh, over the years we have become uh, good friends and someone i always cherish my conversations with she is in my opinion one of the most brilliant minds in the wedding industry and she shares an incredible wealth of knowledge just from the amount of people she interacts with as well as her background in vc Um, just an all-around amazing person. And I know this conversation will bring you definite value as to where our industry is, where it is headed, things you can do to stay ahead of the curve. And she's just an amazing person to learn from. So without further ado, I bring you Jess Levin of Carrots and Cake. So what is up, everybody? Today, I'm joined by my good friend, entrepreneur, Jess, of Carrots and Cake, and super excited to have you on because you and I, I feel, um, have had some really great entrepreneurial slash business conversations, Um, and I always love when somebody comes into the wedding industry, which by and large a lot of the time can be small business owners, um, and they bring a much broader sense of business and worldliness to the industry, and they look at things inside out for what they really are, Um, and you and I will talk about, hey, a business is something that actually produces profit, not something that loses (laughs) money a year. Right, you know, right. and there's, and we've we've had so many of those conversations. So right. first, you know, I just want to uh, I want to welcome you on, and I want to thank you for doing this. Thanks for um, having me. And obviously, I think anyone who's watching this knows who you are and, and knows the company you have, which is Carrots and Cake, which um, you've really um, defined yourself in the marketplace. You know, and there are obviously some big players with. Um, massive amounts of capital. So you took on, you know, in a lot of ways, the knot and the wedding wire um, who have billions behind them, and you were able to carve a space for yourself. So I want to applaud you for that because um, I'm sure there was probably a little insanity as that all went down as to, you know, can this happen and all that goes into that, Um, but you did it, Um, and I think that needs to be... Applauded and commended in and Thank of you. itself. So, if you could tell everybody a little bit about who you are and, and how we are sitting here today and, and yeah, how Carrot's Kick became what it is.
1: Well, you're we're one of our earliest supporters. I think that's the thing that when you are going to go into an mm. industry and not necessarily have the same amount of resources, you know, capital definitely is an essential resource when you are building something. You have to really figure out how you can invest in. Resources that will take you farther than just, you know, $1 equals $1 of spend. Mm. You know, that's something that we've always thought about in building carrots and cake. And part of that comes down to building a brand. Mm. And so that was something for us that we really invested heavily in at first was building a brand that we thought really spoke to first and foremost the business owners. You know, that's how you and I became friends. A big initial part of carrots and cake was really. Building out relationships with key business owners inside key markets that we wanted to collaborate with, um, and I don't use that word lightly. I use collaborate. Really, it's funny because sometimes we get pushed back from time to time. You know, um, some businesses will say, you know, collaborate is really working together. And as much as yes, we have a service, and yes, we do charge something into the industry for what we offer we feel that it is a much more sort of holistic process. And look at us, you know, six years down the line, here we are hanging out together. Um, And I think our relationship started with me probably knocking on the door and calling you not once or twice, maybe 10 times. And you finally saying, okay, I'll sit down. And, you know, and that's just how it works. But, you know, I'm I'm just saying, you know, that's how how it works. And you have to be, you know, you persevere. You keep, there's so many people that, you know, we really wanted to talk with and connect with and really, you know, understand what you were building inside this industry, share you know our vision and have that inform you know where we went, and you know that's what we did with carrots and cake.
0: Yeah, no, I want to like just elaborate on what you were just saying because I think there's a lot of of wisdom in there. Is that. Um, you didn't have an end goal. There was no how am I going to monetize my relationship with Anthony or his company or with everyone else. You know, it was how. And this is where people totally fuck this up. You came in. How can I bring value to your business? Right. And so the end result is, what can I do for you to make you more successful? Yes, I'm going to charge a fee for that, which you deserve. And that's that's. Right. But people come in and go, what can you do for me? And right. that's that's where they have it all wrong. Because right. by you bringing value to the table and saying, look, I'm going to build out this product. We're going to feature your weddings. Your brides are going to want to be on my page. So this is going to be a symbiotic relationship. Right. It's going to be a win, win, win across the board. You gave value to my company in return. That's that, that was the business play. Right. Instead of looking at it and saying, all right, if Anthony pays me $5 today, I may make a profit today, but I lose him for the rest of his life. Whereas when I don't ask for anything upfront, the ask is on the back, you're now able to have someone who will be a loyal customer to your company for the rest of their lives. Right. And I think that's a huge difference.
1: Well, and I think it's like you said, it's all relationship driven. I think that that's the thing that's really interesting about our industry as a whole is this entire industry is relationship driven. And so many business owners, even with everything that's on offer today from Instagram to media, to platforms, to opportunities to connect with different you know, local potential clients, when you survey the businesses, everyone still tells you that everything's relationship driven. Yes. And so that was essential for us with Carrots and Cake is that hearing that over and over and over and over again, I think that there's something to be said there too with our businesses that first and foremost, we look to build relationships. Of course. And from there, like you said, it's not so much, and I think that's one of the things that coming, you know, from the other side of the table, coming from, you know, the investment space first and then, you know, landing here as an entrepreneur is, you know, yes, you're always thinking about how you're going to make business, how you're going to make money rather. You know, that's something that you and I talk about. It's one thing to have a business one, and it's entirely different to Correct. actually be making money off of that business. But at the end of the day, I think that what I learned more and more is that you can create something for a market and say, hey, this is what I think you need as an outsider. And candidly, you know, even seven years in, I still feel like an outsider sometimes that, This is what I think you need. But at the same time, you also have to take the time to listen to your community and hear what they actually need. And I think that very quickly we learned that the more we could listen to you all, who truly are the experts in the industry, the more we could really fundamentally understand what we could build together. And that's really what our journey has been about.
0: Awesome. Where did you even begin with this, right? So right. You, I think for entrepreneurs coming home, you know, we could have a million ideas, right? And right. I have ideas popping into my head all the time. <laughs> I totally And then agree. I sit there and I go, well, there's obviously no place in the world for that. Right. I'm like, that's a great concept. just no market for it. So it's right. a horrible idea. Um, sitting down one day, you're like, all right, I'm going to build a brand called Carrots and Cake. And- <laughs> Didn't exactly happen <laughs> like
1: that. Um, so I I used to work um, for a family office VC. So we used to invest in businesses all the time. And I loved investing in entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I love local business owners. It's something that I've always been drawn to my entire life. And I left to go to business school with every intention truly probably going back to the investment side when I was sitting in – and this is the nerdiest story and I've said it over and over again, but I was sitting in the strategy class and they started talking about the wedding industry and we were doing a case study. It's a famous Harvard case study on De Beers and marketing diamonds and what they did. And – it was the first time that I'd ever looked at the wedding industry as a place full of local business owners and not as a place just full of consumers. And that was kind of the first aha moment for me is that it was interesting to me that sort of everywhere you looked at the time, every single business inside the industry was focused on couples Mm. and servicing the businesses was somewhat of, you know, an afterthought. And, that sounds i don't mean it to sound like they weren't thinking about you but that wasn't you know the initial motivation and so what was interesting to me initially was that there were all these local businesses inside the space and no one really building a business for them first and so that was kind of an, the first thing that really got me excited about the industry and then i started picking into it and researching and the thing that was even more interesting for me is that you had half a million local entrepreneurs who you know were predominantly year after year driving this entire industry, you know, that is truly the backbone of the industry. And so we sat down and said, okay, if we're going to build a business that's truly going to be for the industry first, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And so the funny thing about it is, is then when you start to realize you have to figure out how you can get entrenched with that industry rather quickly. And so for us, it was an opportunity to create the front end of carrots and cake first, which was a way to get to know the business owners and to do something that everybody was Familiar with already because that's you know it's really hard to come in and say hey we're going to revolutionize everything without truly understanding what you guys are doing and also trying to sell something that nobody understood. So we started with carrots and cake first, and it was probably um, it was probably a couple months in when all of a sudden we hit a number of businesses on the site that far surpassed our goal of where we would be because we got lucky with a couple great people inside this industry from you to other incredible photographers in New York City you know great people on the west coast like you know Jose Villa who I picked up the phone and they had a conversation with me and again relationship building gave us content which you know was incredible and supported us you know early on that then you know got other people to be submitting content other people to be creating profiles and so it was probably that you know year that first year when we had businesses like the table turn from you know when we first started the business in those six months we were chasing everybody and all of a sudden you know six months after that we started getting to this place where we had you know 100 new businesses a week joining carrots and cake and that was that was moment that where, your
0: tipping point
1: that i don't know if i would call it our tipping point because the thing that i think is so interesting is you're constantly always tipping you know we are at you know a huge inflection point right now that we're super excited about and you're constantly learning as a business owner and i was, think that
0: was that the moment where you said oh I'm on, like I feel like I'm on to something. Where, you know, you have that moment where you're like, all right, my idea wasn't viable now. You have proof of concept at that
1: point. Yes, we definitely had proof of concept. But I think the one thing that I can tell you um, as an entrepreneur, I kind of always feel like we have something to prove. So like I look back and even now, you know, I still look at the business and I'm like we've so much farther to go. Like we're just at the beginning, which is hilarious because you're like, oh, wow, we've been doing this now for almost six years. So we're not just at the beginning, but we truly are just at the beginning trying to build something better. And so I think that we're still like, we're probably hitting the next tipping point, but yes, the vendor adoption to what we were doing was, and probably still is one of the things that I get the most excited about.
0: I, I, and it makes sense because I think what, what people didn't understand in the marketplace is when you have these massive companies, one thing's massive companies can't provide is a personalized service. Just you just can't. Right. When you're at that larger scale, you're a multi-billion dollar company. Um, it's very hard to have. Uh, you know the CEO of a, you're just not you're not right. it's, a, it's a very different business model. And you know you came into a point where you know Instagram had just become really popular, it was taking off six years ago and you, you hit right. the market at the right time with the right concept, with the right look uh, but you also offered something that nobody else was at that point, which was uh, a personalized indiv- individualized service. So I think a lot of times people look at things on a big macro like oh, they have these ideas like I need to become the biggest in the world where in essence you don't necessarily need to right. what you can do is become a micro and – but have massive impact because you're able to offer something much more individualized and personalized than something uh, on a giant – than a company on a a giant scale.
1: Right. I think you also have to be – I think that there's something of – and it's, you know, an interesting thing that's happening inside the investment space right now is that you have to be super aware to your point of what those business goals are, right? You know, I have – and we rather because it's always we. We have a vision for what our company can be and we have only just – touched a sliver of it. But you have to touch those slivers because one by one knocking down those slivers is what ultimately gets you to that pie in the sky vision. And I think that that's something that, you know, we are always and we continue to be hyper aware about. And there are definitely moments where I'm like, we are not going fast enough. We should have already have accomplished this. But at the same time, that's our journey as a company. And so it's that concept of always making future forward progress and hitting, you know, what are those goals and you know for us as a company it became we got lucky for what it's worth and became profitable within our first year of business where we were then able to fund the business off of our revenue sure. stream which is not the norm in a lot of ways and that is something that has been a huge asset to us because it's allowed us to stay nimble and pivot and you know react to opportunities that we see inside the market that like you had talked about if we were larger, you can't react easier. It's like that analogy of, you know, when you're driving a two-person bike, it's very easy to, you know, turn right as opposed to when you're driving a semi that has, you know, 12 pylons on the back. You're not just swinging the left real fast. Um, But I think that those, you know, hitting those milestones and making sure, like you said, that it's that concept that, yes, big is beautiful, but also you can be small and still create impact along the way.
0: When you're looking back, right? Um, and if you are giving advice to other people, you talked about pivoting. So I'm a big believer in that because right. I think sometimes people go, okay, I need to go from A to B. It's going to be a linear process. <laughs> no, um, no. But And they get locked in that and they they right. lose, you know, they, they literally look straight ahead. They right. don't look left or right, right. And, you know, I've talked to a bunch of people on the show and they said, as soon as I looked left, I realized, whoa, what I was doing, A, there was so much more profit on the left. Right. Um, but if I didn't make that pivot, This business wouldn't even be here five years later because they're so focused on a singular goal, they're missing everything else along the way.
1: Yep. I couldn't agree with that more. And I think that that's the biggest thing that you learn kind of along the way is there are moments, you know, as a company, sometimes we talk a lot about the Henry Ford quote of that they would have asked for faster horses instead of cars, right? So as an entrepreneur, there's that, you know, struggle between – You have to listen, but you also have to marry that, no pun intended, with also your vision as an entrepreneur and kind of the opportunities that you see. And that's kind of always been, you know, for us with Carrots and Cake is that there's opportunity, you know, over here, right, that we see. But then equally, there's also needs from the industry that we have to simultaneously fill, right? And so there are moments where if you don't pick your head up, you can't see those opportunities. And I can tell you that, you know… We as a business have been lucky that at the right inflection points, we've chased those opportunities, and it is why we're standing here today. The business model, and every once in a while I do this exercise myself personally, is I look back at our initial pitch, and the overarching vision has not changed of what we're accomplishing. The day-to-day path that we've taken to get there is not at all what I expected it to be. But we are here because of those inflection points. We're here because we had the opportunity to take a step back and say, all right, where's the revenue? What can we be doing? And that's the thing too as a business is sometimes you have the luxury of being able to chase different things, right? Sometimes you're chasing audience. Sometimes you have to chase revenue. Sometimes you have to chase Brand or whatever that is for you—it all really depends. And something for us that you know we got lucky with is we started chasing revenue that wasn't always revenue that we thought we would be chasing, but it's been opportunity that's informed us and educated us, and is why we're sitting here today.
0: Give me one opportunity that presented itself where you had to say, "All right, I need to pivot and go." Yeah.
1: So I think the biggest thing for us um, with carrots and cake is we, you know, tested a couple different revenue streams. I, I was always a big believer on. It's great to have audience, but at the same time, if the audience won't pay for what you're selling, it really doesn't matter how big your yes. audience is. That's kind of been something that I've always been hyper aware of. And so we always tested monetization super early to make sure that we kind of understood what people would pay for. Um, and I think that that's the other thing too is just because someone pays what you're selling doesn't mean they're actually buying what you're selling. And so that was something that we really learned. So the first test of monetization, we were selling something. Um, and it was doing great. And then when we started surveying our clients to figure out what they were buying, they weren't actually buying what we were selling them, if that makes sense. Does that yes. make sense? Um, and so that was the first aha moment is we were like, oh, wait a second here. Pretend that we tell them we're selling you know, A plus B plus C. Really? They're like, no, 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 I'm buying D from you, and you're not even selling D. And that's what we realized is a benefit that we weren't even pitching. So we basically invested heavily in that b- benefit and push the entire business towards that benefit, and that's truly what made us profitable so fast.
0: Um, It's it's interesting as you say that. I I went to a restaurant four months ago. That opened four months ago, and it started off as a market, Mm -hmm. and they were selling meat. It was a butcher shop, and he had little stalls in there. One was uh, vegetables and the few cheese, and also a coffee shop. So one day a guy comes in and goes, "Um, I want you to close the market, and I want you to have the chef back there to make lunch for 25 people. Yep. 25 people show up, 25 people eat. One of those people turns around and goes, you know, I want you to stay open tomorrow night. I want you to do a private dinner for my company for 20 people in the market. Right. Next day they go, um, and I I need you to be open on Friday too because I want to come back again because the food was so good. Right. Well, four months later they did 250 covers on Saturday night and I talk about, I was talking to the owner and I'm like, what a pivot, man. He's like, I was in the wholesale meat business and now he's running one of the most successful restaurants in Right in Long Branch, New Jersey and the place is packed, overflowing and you can't get a reservation and people are writing it up and it's really kind of like an outlier in terms of restaurant success. There's no backing, there's nothing. It was a market which is now a restaurant with 100 seats. Right. And at that moment, I was like, dude, I give you so much credit. So many people would have just been like, I'm not opening for dinner. You had 220 people in here Like, You're bringing in like 30,000 in revenue off one, you know, exactly. one Saturday. And he's like, yeah, most people would have just said no or this isn't going to happen. You just went right. for it. And as it evolved, he would take the fruit stand and get rid of it. The cheese stand, get rid of it. And now he's got all these different rooms.
1: But that's what you have to do.
0: And that's, I feel like it was so, but he did it so quick. Right. You know, most people, it goes over three years. He did in three months. Right. Um, and I said, man, that's such a brilliant business move because he let the business dictate to him back as to how he was going to proceed, not what he wanted it to be. The business said, no, this is what's going on. There's a market. We're showing right. you there's a market. Just do it. Right. Um, and he let that happen. And I'm listening to that and it's just making me think of that story. Whereas... Well, because
1: it's, this, it's, what, it's what happens when you go from idea to implementation. Yeah. In the idea stage, you kind of have to be in your own head a little bit and say, this is where I'm going. But then the second you put it out on the market, if you don't listen – and it's not so much even listening sometimes because, like, that's a much more direct – you know, you have to sometimes when you don't have direct access to the consumer right away, you have to figure out how to get that feedback. I could not be more of an advocate for especially the hard stuff. You know, for us, the biggest changes we've made with our business is when we've been given feedback that, listen, might not have been delivered the best way, right? You know, <laughs> uh, and that's something you mean that
0: people give feedback, not deliver the best way. I can't imagine.
1: Right. You know, <laughs> but I think that's one of the biggest things with feedback is learning to you know, separate the tone or the actual words from, again, what somebody's trying to tell you. And it's through that feedback, you know, whether it's the people telling the restaurant owner, hey, I want you to close down, you know, or someone telling you like, hey, this isn't actually valuable to me or what are you guys doing over here? That, if you take the time to listen to that information, that's what in turn allows you to see where the opportunities are. Because some people are lucky, like the restaurant, and someone just says, hey, here's your opportunity. Other times, which has been the case with us, we have to sit there and really carve out those opportunities for feedback and be able to take it as a team and then say, oh, wait, actually, that wasn't nice, but what they mean is this, and wow, that's interesting.
0: So one thing I definitely wanted to um, talk to you about is is something we've spoken about in depth the last couple times we've hung out, which is the changing climate of not just the world – but the wedding industry, right? And I feel you know you have a really good grasp on the global picture right now, but more so on the micro level of as to how um, it is going to change. And right. for those of people listening, watching, what we're talking about is um, we're, the world is changing. at such a fast pace at the current mo- movement. And, you know, and look at the iPhone in the past ten years. We have right. like ten versions, and if you look at camera one to camera ten, <laughs> right. it's as good as what we're shooting with. Now you apply that; that's going to cut across every single industry. Um, you know, from medical to, to, to weddings, right? right. Um, and I see it on our end, whether it's a changing consumer. Right. Um, whether it's someone who owns a two million acre ranch and becomes a vegetarian and has a vegetarian wedding, you know, there's so many things where the consumer is now changing, and right. people are buying fake diamonds. It's whatever they are, you know. Um, but the speed at which we're changing now, whereas it used to be, you know, innovation was 20 years. We're changing in 20 days. Right. Um, and I think there's a naivety right now in the wedding industry that that change is not going to impact how we do business, who we do business with, the methods we do business, um, who we're selling to, how we're selling to them, um, the speed at which we deliver our products. Right. um, You know, and I think that can be a catch-22 because for someone like us, people want things tomorrow. Right. And to manufacture an amazing wedding album, I tell people, is the same as assembling a Ferrari. It takes time. Um, If you want one that's done overnight, you get that on Snapfish for $9.99 and you'll have it within 24 (laughs) hours in your house and uh, free shipping. Right. So, you know, again, minus the luxury level, um, the consumer's changing, you know, and I think you... Talk to more vendors across more platforms right. than anyone else, whether it's from hotels to wedding photographers. Um, so, you're probably the best person in the world to comment on what we have going on right now. So, A, where do you see it going? Right. B, what do you see happening to the vendors themselves? C, how can people get ahead of the curve and be prepared for the massive change that I think is going to happen in the next five years?
1: Right. It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of um, questions. So, I don't have a crystal ball. If I did, we'd be sitting somewhere different. <laughs> well, um, where would we be if right. I, I know. don't know. Um, I think the first – I think the biggest thing ultimately is at the end of the day is that none of us really knows exactly where it's going yes. to go. So I saw this quote recently that really resonated with me that we can't really anticipate where things are going to go, but we can – control how prepared we are for the unexpected. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is the industry is drastically shifting. I think the thing that is great about weddings and all the data and all the research that we look at is that consumers love an experience right now, and that will continue to matter even for the next generation. Now, the way that they spend on that experience is probably going to be different in a way that, you know, for a very long time, I think... Things were somewhat regimented in tradition, and I think that the tail end of that is happening, meaning not to be scary, but there will be couples who, you know, might not see the value in a traditional photographer. There might be couples that don't see the value in a traditional wedding, you know, whatever that ceremony relationship means to them. And I think that all we can do as an industry is be aware that change is coming and prepare ourselves. And so whatever that means for you as a business owner, whether it's readjusting the way you spend, it's the way that you invest in your business, because it all comes down to financial viability during moments of change. So that's the other thing that I really love is that as much as things are going to change and probably to your point change more drastically than they have in a long time, the industry, our industry lags a lot of other industries you've seen the fundamental transportation formation you know ultimately i would argue in the last year really take hold in retail where if you walk around and see what's happening with bricks and mortar and you see you know what's happening inside new york city right now with a couple major retailers yeah, of
0: course i mean what Saks is oh, wait, oh, who just closed today
1: well barney's barney's, is, barney's.
0: sorry is, is, is in the you way know and is yeah. it
1: and i think that you know so every industry is changing and there's a lot of reasons that industries are changing but what happens with change is also there's huge opportunity and the people that are able to take advantage of opportunity are going to be the people that really do three things one of which we were talking about a moment ago and that is really picking their heads up and kind of seeing where the opportunities arise because there are going to be a lot of a lot of opportunities excuse me the second thing is having the resources to take advantage of those opportunities. So people look at, you know, huge moguls inside industries and the people that rise up during huge transformations of change are the people that have the resources to invest, you know, people that are able to buy real estate when the market's downturned, people that are able to build out, you know, companies that meet new needs as industries evolve, you know. So I think as a business owner really thinking about, I don't want to say conserving capital but making sure that you have enough capital to ride the change is going to be really essential. And I think that that comes into the third thing is spending and investing differently. You know, something that I've always admired about you as a business owner is you kind of always evolve to where we're going, you know, and recognizing that the way that we used to run companies um you know with a ton of fluff if you will or other expenditures that if you really take a step back and recognize aren't actually essential right now, I think that you know looking inward and reorganizing the way that you think about how you do business is also so essential right now. And then to answer your big question about, you know, what that actually means, again, I'm not entirely sure. It's just that we see things really starting to shift in other industries. And as much as we will always be an industry that's rooted in offline experiences, I think that that's something that's really special for us. You know, you're not going to... You're not going to be able to have a wedding online the same way that you can have a wedding on, offline, of at least probably in our lifetime. Who knows what's going to happen, you know, with, in another life. But right now I still think that people want to have those, you know, offline experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. But I think that, you know, the way people shift and spend is going to really influence our industry a
0: lot. So let me throw some things at you. Yeah, you, you fire back with what you think, right? Yep. So number one to what you said, thank you for for your compliment. Um. I think ego gets in the way of a lot of people. Um, you know, for me, we downsize studios. To have a bigger studio is all ego based, right? How much square footage do I need to well, operate um, my business? And
1: I didn't want to, you know, say no, that no, no, downside, but that's, because people traditionally think that downsizing means something bad, but it's, it's a not smart it's, 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 business it's, it's practice. It's taking
0: a smaller footprint. This is this, and people think that it's funny. Somebody said to me, "Are you having financial problems?" I'm like, "No." I'm like, "I'm spending less money," and they go, "Oh," and I'm like, "That's called." Giving a raise to the business that right. doesn't necessarily—it is all that right. is everything else about that is ego, right? And public perception and all those things, right? Having a smaller office does not mean your business is not doing as well. What it means is you're having a smaller footprint. <laughs> the business is operating in the same way. I saw the same people who work here, margins. and I have better margins. Um, so as and you extrapolate that over the 10 years, let's say. If I can save $30,000 a year over 10 years, it's $300,000 when you compound that interest. It it starts to become, you know, you you know this. I don't have to tell you this, right? There's massive upside to downsizing your business. so number one, I would say put your ego aside if you're owning a business right now. I know you're going to agree with that um, because that's, you know, I mean, you just have to put your ego aside. Um, you can have a bigger space, but that only feeds your ego. But n- to, to your other point was wh- where do you think the opportunity is going to be? So let's go throw out a few vendors here. Um, Floris, where do you feel that their opportunity is going to be to capitalize on a changing market?
1: I think what's going to happen for any business that, specializes in tangible goods inside Mm -hmm. this industry is that they're going to be able to spend smarter. And so what I mean by that is we are at the precipice of the entire data information Mm -hmm. phase. And so what that means is from a floral perspective, I think that you're going to see opportunities for business owners to buy smarter in a way that you might have, you know, entire industries that grow out of, you know, the floral space that are all data driven in the way they produce flowers, which then might mean that there's opportunity for florists to really look at their spend and, you know, what drives, you know, their ROI. And so what I mean by that is, and there was, I forget who it was, but I was talking to this florist recently that, you know, there's going to be opportunities where, you know, you'll be able to invest in creating. And I know that this is a challenge with, you know, an art form, but, you know, invest in creating floral works of art that might cost you less, right, but that you're still able to command a similar price point for, I think that there's going to be opportunity there. I also think that as the way that the solopreneur becomes, you know, really a mature opportunity inside many industries, that there's going to be opportunities to work smarter with other you know, labor sources Mm. that might make those opportunities. I think that that's going to be, you know, really interesting for Flores. And I also think that going back to, and we talked to, you know, you're still going to need, I think that that's also, it just depends, like there's no right answer across the industries. Because, you know, if you are someone that, you know, does production all the time, you're going to need different resources than someone that doesn't have to create production all the time and isn't servicing Twenty different properties in New York City, as well as to twenty events a you know week on the weekend, and you know six other corporate events and florals for twelve different offices. You know that's an entirely different business model. Um, but I think that there's going to be you know some opportunity there in the way that really what it's going to be is kind of what's happened I think in the food space and what's happened in a couple other places is in retail is hopefully you're going to be able to use data to make smarter purchase decisions and mm. reduce waste.
0: And what do you think? I think this is like the lowest hanging fruit of the mall. Um, you know, right now, no secret. Wedding photography is the most oversaturated of I feel all, all well, the vendors.
1: I, okay. You may disagree I, with me. I don't know that I have data to agree or disagree. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, but I, I will throw <laughs> it out there. I will say that my category of, of vendors in the in the industry is the most oversaturated because right. it's the lowest point of entry. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas to become a florist, you need trucks and you know you have to actually. There's right. a whole different uh, science to that um, where, you know, or if you're a caterer, you need massive, you know, right. just even if you don't, you're operating out of a single space to produce the event There's, right. you know, or if you And want- I
1: think that's where the opportunity is with those businesses yep. is that the shared economy will allow for an opportunity to reorganize costs that will hopefully allow for different cost structures inside those two,
0: especially. Yes, for now, for people getting in the wedding industry, they ask me, oh, I want to be wedding. <laughs> I'm like, find another career at this point because, you know, I, I think we've had so many um, there's so many hundreds if not thousands of people doing 10 weddings a year you know right. so what happens then you know in our economy there's a finite number of weddings a year let's call it 10,000 um, 10 years ago you had 50 photography studios those 50 photography studios have splintered off you now have 300 photographers out of those studios plus 700 people who have decided to join the industry. So you have more now than, you know, right. great, great But the weddings have not multiplied 10 times. You still have the same number of weddings plus or minus a few right. from 10 years ago. So now what happens is the supply and demand gets all screwed up. Is the demand stays static but the supply now is overflowing. Right. Um, I understand at the higher end where we are, it's a little less disruptive because, you know, the, the amount of work it takes to get to shooting higher end weddings, you know, you can't just show up and do that. But, right. For people listening who are in the middle market um, that want to make a career out of this for the next five years, what advice would you give to them? How can they differentiate themselves? Um, you look at more content from a photo standpoint than most right. people do. So you're able to see, hey, you know, I'm seeing this and I know this is obviously working and it's successful and I'm seeing this right. and it's not.
1: Right. Um, so I think the first thing, and this is similar to my answer a second ago, is don't spend any money that you don't have to. I think that, you know, going back to what you said, for whatever reason that people spend... I think one of the things that's, again, depending on your business, but for anyone that's entering inside the photography space is beyond investing in your education as a photographer, don't invest in other fluff, right? Because the beauty of being a entrepreneur inside an industry where you don't need bricks and mortar, you're yes. not a florist, there's not a high cost of goods sold. Yes, there's cost of you know film development and equipment and things like that, but minimize any fixed costs that you have is the first thing I would say. Because then if you can look at your fee, your fee becomes more profit. The more fixed costs you have, fixed costs being a lease or whatever it would be inside your um, prospective space, means that your profit margin is greatly diminished. And so the less upfront cost investment you have means the more profit you make. I think the second thing that I would say is really truly think about where your consumer is. And so this is something that we talk about all the time as a business. And at the end of the day, um, I'm not saying that you should only invest in Instagram because you have to figure out, again, where your market is for where your potential clients are. And I know it sounds super funny coming from a platform-based company to say don't invest with us. But at the end of the day, the consumer is on Instagram right now. Yes. And more and more and more, if you can invest where your consumer is, you know, I talked to new business owners, and again, Instagram has become the new website. It's your new calling card, it's your new portfolio. And the beauty of that is there's not upfront cost. There's not creating a brand. There's not investment in creating a logo. There's not. And that's part of, you know, what I'm a big believer in. And there are bad cases of this, but the good cases are before you start a business, Try to test the business. And so what I mean by that is you want to open a photography business or you're getting started in this business, don't worry about a website or business cards. Worry about building out your work first and shooting it and seeing if enough people will pay you for what you're doing before you build a website, before you invest in a brand, before you do all of this. Because ultimately the business will drive itself. And if the business drives itself, then you can make those other investments along the way. But I think a lot of people sit there and they're like, okay, I'm going to start out on my own and I need to, you know, do all this collateral or make all these investments before I actually see if I have a real business. Yes. And I think that my advice today would be see if you have a business first before you do anything else.
0: I, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, the other thing you brought up is um, – you have to really manage costs, and people, I think, to this day, don't have an understanding of what they're running at. And you know, for example, you know, I'll talk to somebody, and they'll be like, oh, "I, I charge five thousand dollars." I'm like, "I don't care what you charge. What'd you make?" Right. Right. So let's back that now. Your car lease was five hundred. Your rent yes. was three thousand. Well- your insurance, your staff. What'd you make? And then when you actually sit down and run those numbers, and I've helped some people in the wedding industry with this, and, they, and, I, and I'm like, you know, it cost you $5,600 to go to work. You charge 5000 You lost $600 on Saturday. 100%. You're you are turning money. It's Ponzi. I always call that. It's like the worst Ponzi scheme in the world. <laughs> but you're, you're not actually profitable because you don't right. know what you're spending. And then I'll look right. at them and I'll go, okay, you're leasing a $600 a month car. Okay. It has four wheels. Okay, I understand it's really nice. It's got to go. And they're like, whoa, wait. I'm like, no, no, no. Like you need a $200 Jeep lease, like bare minimum. It gets you to the same location. And then they look at me and like, who are you to say that? I'm like, my Mazda has 115,000 miles. People think I'm cheap. I call it frugal. Right. I drive it to work. It gets beat up. I don't need a Range Rover. It's not a matter of affording it. It's just that's an extra $500 a month that goes out to the same thing with four wheels that's going to get destroyed with rips in the seats from all the camera gear. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, but if you want to be profitable, the only way to do that is to cut. Is to is to manage what you're spending on a daily basis. You and like you said, variable costs. If you don't need a car, rent a car when you need one. That way, you're only paying for it on an on need basis. One hundred percent. You don't need a big studio. Maybe go to a WeWork space where you're only paying for the conference room on the day you need it. Instead of having a fixed cost of a showroom in New York City at five thousand dollars a month, you never recuperate. Only pay for what you need when you need it. If you can live by that, I think no matter what field you're in, you can run a much more successful business. Agree. Than, and 100% agree. And there's so <laughs> many companies in the world that aren't profitable. And you know they, we can go on and on and on is because they have these massive overheads. Like right. They just cut okay. some of that overhead. All of a sudden, that becomes profit.
1: Well, and I think especially from a small business owner perspective, that's what is most exciting for where we are as far as an in industry right now is there are so many more People paying attention to supporting business owners that are armies of one and armies of two and armies of three, and not even just inside our industry, but there's so many resources that can help you build a stronger business today that when you started a business, probably didn't exist. You know, whether it's none of that, whether it's creating an LLC online, whether it's, you know, and that's my other advice for a small business owner, you know, make sure you structure your business so that you are taking advantage of opportunities taxation wise. You know, if you, want to build an LLC, you can write off things differently. I'm not an expert here. So please, you know, talk to somebody who is. But it's those those are the things that you want to invest in. And the part of that too also is not being short sighted. And that's something else that I think all of us as business owners are gonna have to be very careful with. You know, like you said, one of the things I love most about what I do for a living is I spend time still every week talking to at least five to ten local business owners. And it's funny because I get on the phone with people and they're like, you're Talking, you know, we're having a conversation now. And that is how I stay close to what we're doing mm. as a business, As I really think that as long as you know you understand what the industry is doing and you stay current with local business owners, yeah. the stronger it makes us as a company. And so it's something that I really prioritize my time for. But I think that one of the big issues that we're all gonna have is as industries change. You know, I hear from a lot of business owners right now inside our space that it's not a great year or it's a weird time or whatever words we want to use to describe that. The other big challenge then is to not be short-sighted, right? Because there's going to be moments where, you know, you might need to make a buck in a way that you didn't need to make a buck a decade ago, Mm -hmm. right? And I think as long as we are aware as business owners inside a space that has a 14 to 18 month lead time, every decision we make today will impact us for 24 months to come. And so making sure that you're strategic about those decisions and really understanding what those opportunities are. It's the same way that I talk about with the business owner. I remember when we started Carrots and Cake, it was like oh, wow, we have to pay a lawyer X amount of dollars, Mm -hmm. you know, when we were coming up with just the idea before, you know, we had investors or anything. And we, you know, forked out the money to set the corporation up the right way to make sure that, you know, we were essentially set up for success. And so it's making sure that, you know, while you want to stay away from superfluous costs, you want to make sure that you are investing in things that will actually build for tomorrow and aren't just for today.
0: And then the last category, which is someone, you know, I've had a lot of um, venues um, in our area kind of, you know, privately say, hey, this is going on right now. Our numbers are down, right? right. And, and I think it's two part. I think 2019 across the board was just a weird year in New York City, um, but I think, to the latter of that is, again, supply and demand. There's more venues now and, you know, we have a lot of bigger venues opening up and right. competing against one another. Um, if you're a venue in the space, um, how do you stand apart from other venues, right? So what are you seeing that a venue is doing that's really successful or, you know, someone you work with, doesn't have to be in New York, but they've Bes- done.
1: Besides using our software. Besides using kidding.
0: your software. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. Um, but where have you seen people step differently where they're pivoting right. and saying, hey, I'm offering, because right. really at a venue, what's the experience right. that they can offer that's different? Right. And, and what have you seen that someone's done where they've really set themselves apart right. from that?
1: So again, I think the one big thing that we see with venues, um, especially at the corporate level, is that sometimes there's a challenge of how they present themselves digitally. Hmm. And the one thing that I will say over... I mean,
0: horrible websites, that's so many... Of them <laughs> <laughs> again, they should, it, they but, should use our software. <laughs> hint, hint. Um,
1: but I think that's one of the big things that At the end of the day, we talk about all the time is in this industry being relationship driven. Yes. When you start to survey couples, couples get married for the most part, especially when you're talking to the elevated venues inside the space. They get married somewhere because they have an emotional attachment to it or there is a reason. So for example, it's one of my favorite lines and our director of partnerships on the property side always says this, is that if you don't know... Insert, let's pretend, if you don't know the St. Regis New York, you're probably not a client that's going to get married to the St. Regis New York. Like if you're not familiar with the brand, it might not be a brand that you're going to choose your wedding for. And so instead what that means is properties, most of the clients that are going to get married at your venue are already familiar with you. They've Mm. either had drinks, again, pretend we're talking about the St. Regis New York at the King Cole Bar or they've, you know, seen an event there. They're You're already in their decision set. And so it's a matter yeah. of engaging with that audience and converting them and uh-huh. figuring out how to be strategic. It's not necessarily about reaching new eyeballs as much as it is about sprinkling your existing clientele with, you know, those little ideas of what your capabilities are inside the wedding space. I think that that's huge is that, you know, again, I think it's a to quote our director of properties, it's a, a old hospitality saying that like your new client is already sitting and having drinks in your bar downstairs type of deal. You know, that's where they are. Sure. Um, so I think that, you know, relaying that into weddings and so making sure that, you know, any opportunity that you have to engage with in, existing clientele in a non-confrontational way from a wedding perspective is interesting. I think the second thing is more and more and more, and there's young companies are starting to do this. We are dabbling in it is the way that you can experience a property from a virtual perspective is going to become more and more important in the next couple of years. I think that a lot of couples are going to expect to be able to, you know, tour a property as if they were walking into that property online because that is what our expectation has become as consumers in retail. And I think that retail will translate into, you know, what we do, meaning that you can essentially try clothing on digitally right now without – stepping foot in a store. And so I think the same thing is going to start to happen for properties where it's not just going to be about pretty wedding images and seeing that done, but couples, you know, are going to want to be able to experience the property without actually going there. And so I think figuring out how to invest in those resources is going to be important.
0: I love it. And for, to expand on that a little bit, is it, um, those people are going to need to start investing Mm -hmm. and investing smartly in creating content. For their right. venues. Um, and a lot of that cannot be shot the day of an event. You know, 100%. They're going to need to bring in real film crews and shoot production quality content to give people that experiential. Um, you know, when you open the doors, you have that feeling of walking into a Cipriani's where right. you see this expansive ceiling. So right. you can now translate that over to a digital. Right. Product. And
1: that's the other thing, too, that we see over and over again is like you just touched on. And I think that's a little bit of the consumer shift these days and we see it you know with data on social is that couples really want to be able to envision themselves there. They don't want to necessarily see someone else's wedding, they do like a real wedding is more important to them than a styled shoot. But you have to be careful about just thinking that straight real wedding collateral is what's going to drive your business because then it also doesn't give someone the opportunity to really discover the space for themselves if so, that makes sense like the and so, space. so yeah. Yeah and so it's that you know combination of the two but i think that you know other properties that we see doing really interesting things is you have to sell to your strengths i think that that's the big thing is at the end of the day just like you do as a photographer you know yes there's a lot of business owners inside this industry across the board at the end of the day at a certain level of spend someone is hiring you because they like you yes anthony that's why they're hiring you right cuz there are, for most consumers, you know, they can hire a couple different photographers. You know, the price point is not once they're inside a certain level or a certain echelon. It's about how well they connected with you personally and whatever those touch points are, right? And the same thing starts to happen with properties where the ones that, you know, really play to their strengths. You know, are you a property that has a super foodie following? Mm-hmm. Then sell that. But if you are a property that doesn't, don't try to compete on that level. Don't yes. sell that you have this great no, chef no because you're know who you
0: cool. are. Know who you are.
1: And play to those strengths.
0: No. So I want to be uh, respectful of your time. I know you have kid and dog. And, <laughs> um, but one question I want to leave you, uh, I want to, uh, you to share with. Right? You've had this amazing journey of seven years um, and a few years before that doing VC work. Uh, if you could give yourself one piece of advice that would change your life from 10 years ago to this point, what would that be?
1: Probably what I tell myself today, let's learn to listen to the hard stuff better mm. Is it really comes back to feedback. Mm. Um, <laughs> I wrote a newsletter about this a couple weeks ago, but I really think that the longer I've been on this journey, the better I've gotten at really being able to take it and not take it and then, you know. Turn that and interpret that into something that moves me forward. Mm. Whereas I can tell you a decade ago, you know, it, my old boss um, in VC once told me I was the worst employee he ever had and I was totally employ- unemployable. Um, and I remember I was wrecked for a couple of weeks at the time. I was like, wow, he says I'm his worst employee ever. And what he actually meant is that. I needed to go build my own company and do my own thing, right? Yeah, I
0: mean, he may just have phrased it a little off, right? But I think, <laughs> yeah. but I think
1: that's the, I think that that's the thing, you know, is that you know, if I could tell my own, my old self, it's, you know, stop taking everything so impersonally in that regard, yes. and instead look at what everybody is telling you yes. and figure out how to extrapolate that information into progress. And I think that that's what it's all about. And, you know, 10 years ago, everything, I mean, and still, I, you know, we still do. We have good days and bad days. You know, somebody says something to you and you take it too personally. But now I would say, you know, more often than not, I'm able to really listen to what someone else is trying to say to me and not take it personally, but instead, you know, pick it apart and say, okay, what can I actually learn from this? And that I think, you know, as a 20 something year old, you know, 24, I was really not that great at that. You know, in fact, I think I was much more of a fighter, year olds at all. much more of a fighter than a listener at that phase of my life. So that probably would have, you know, gotten me a little bit farther. But I also really am one of those people that, you know, I can openly tell you we wouldn't be sitting here today without the, you know, mistakes that I've made along the way. And I think that that's the key is those mistakes are ultimately you take the time to learn from them. That's what makes you stronger. You know, and yes. again, a decade ago, I wasn't that good at it.
0: Yeah, now I've gotten better. The double down on your sentiment is <laughs> you are the sum of all the mistakes you've made, not the successes you've had. Because hundred percent. It's, it's, it's amazing how great you can feel and, and the success doesn't teach you anything in my opinion. It's the mistakes. Um, I think the other thing too is um, just as a business owner, um, mistakes allow you to really also from a people filter standpoint – Um, We're not perfect, we're we're all created imperfectly, and when you're able to be surrounded by people and you make a mistake, they make you better because of that mistake, whereas when you have a team that doesn't surround you and you make a mistake, Mm -hmm. they make that mistake the death of you, Um, whereas a mistake doesn't define who the person is, what I feel what defines who the person is, how they handle that mistake and respond to it, Um, and as a business owner, mistakes are blessings, um, because they allow you the opportunity to learn and grow, whereas successes are just people telling you how fucking great you are and at a certain point, um, that's nice, but it really does nothing in terms of growing. Um, and you know, it's, it's like the kid who has the billion dollar trust fund, he's never had adversity his whole life and then all of a sudden something happens and it crushes him, um, I'll take the person who has had adversity their whole life, right. who's overcome that adversity, persevered through it and then become an amazing human being because of it, right. those are the people you want on the team, those are the people you want in the business and those are the people you want to be accountable to. I agree. So I want to thank you because <laughs> you're awesome. <laughs> Thanks and for having me. I love, I love what you do. And mutual? No, no. I love what you do and I love what you've built and I love that you've stayed true. I love that you haven't sold out. I love that you haven't commoditized things you could have um, because you've looked long term. And at every point you've questioned, in my opinion, knowing you for now six years, you never took the dollar up front and sold yourself short on the back end. So you sold today for tomorrow. And, and, I, and I appreciate that greatly because so many other people would have cashed out, sold themselves short, just like we were talking about before. Hey, you right. can commoditize this. You could, but that's something your brand short in the long right. run, and you haven't done that. You stayed true to it. Um, one day, i, I, I- Firmly believe it'll be immensely successful. You'll sell this for a lot of money, um, and you'll remember us. And yes. we'll, I will hopefully be watching the sunset at your uh, house at the Hamptons when you retire. <laughs> all those things. So, right. um, but you're just an awesome person to know, and I appreciate our relationship. Um, I appreciate our conversations, and I appreciate everything you do. And uh, I think everyone really should, because um, all too often we we just don't think about those things. And uh, you support all of us in a way that no one else, in my opinion, ever has in this industry. Um, and you continue to do that even. When with the amount of success your brand has seen. So I just want to say thank you. Um, and if you could tell everyone where they can find you, um, when they if they are not advertising with you, buy it, uh, I can tell you firmly. They support their advertisers. I'm one for seven years, and I um, I don't even know what I pay you at this point. <laughs> Hopefully it hasn't gone up because I haven't looked at a cashback in seven years. Uh, but please tell them where they can find you and all that.
1: Um, carrotsandcake.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Carrots and Cake. Yeah, well, the best way to
0: connect to advertise.
1: Um, you can email Casey, K-A-S-E-Y, at carrotsandcakes.com. And we are, like Anthony said, a relationship-driven business. So we don't support traditional advertising. We you know, strategically work with everyone that does invest in our services because we really view yes. it as a partnership. Um, but if you're interested in exploring what we do, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Cool. Well, thank you again, and we'll let you go. Awesome. Thanks, sis. Hey, everybody doing this has been an absolute journey and an amazing time i have learned so much and i want to thank you all for listening in if you kindly would we would just ask you for your support Uh, if you've liked the show if you've gained anything from it please leave us a five-star review on itunes or any of the other platforms where you are viewing this we would greatly appreciate it and it means the world